We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Hello everyone, welcome back to Rotoviz Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. My name is Colin Kelly, you can follow me on Twitter at Overtimeardent. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, the co-owner of Rotoviz, Mr. Sean Siegel. Sean, we've had two weeks off since the last show, so we've had a little bit of a gap. The show now, obviously a little bit less happening in terms of fantasy football over the next couple of weeks and months, but we'll continue to bring you the show at the moment. As I mentioned on Twitter, it will be on a bi-weekly basis, and it's always to... uh, that's the plan anyway for the foreseeable future but obviously we had the divisional round matchups this past week we'll be reflecting on those we'll be looking a little bit further back again to the wild card we'll be looking ahead then to where those uh, games and where the players performances have changed their values heading into 2019 and talking among other different little bits and pieces and some of the articles are up on rotaviz.com this week but sean i guess it's been two weeks so how's things been for you since that i'm sure you're you're quite happy since uh, we last talked as the the chiefs have continued to progress through to the afc championship it was a weekend i was very very excited about the action heading into it it kind of felt like a little bit of a letdown for me personally because i thought the games would have been much closely contested and we did have the games 
uh, really outside of the the Saints and the Eagles, where the Eagles got the early lead, but then obviously the Saints dominated after that point. So we had a couple of very dominant performances across the board. I guess the the good thing about that is that we've seen that the best four teams in the NFL have advanced to the uh, final stage there's not much uh, question between who was the deserved winners and the divisional round so divisional round in the books uh, what did you make of, of the action over the last kind of two weeks well if you are a Kansas City Chiefs fan if you grew up in Kansas City like I did then uh, having that Chiefs game not be close that that was the opposite of fell flat for those of us who have seen so many of these games <laughs> go off the rails uh, this will be back to the AFC championship game, I believe for the first time since they played the bills in 1993. And the, the chiefs are not one of those teams that has been Cleveland Browns like, or Detroit lions like in the interim since 1993, they have been a fixture in the playoffs, but they have been uh, one of those rare teams that often even has home field advantage, at least through the first week. And yet has not been able to win. So to see them come out and play the way they did, obviously people will tell you that all of those losses came before Patrick Mahomes. And we saw some evidence of, of why that is such a big deal and, and how things may be different now. So for a Chiefs fan, very, very exciting. This game in many ways was about the Chiefs offense again, but on the flip side, the narrative or the big focus coming into the game was how the Colts and their offensive line, which had a very good season, how they would handle the Chiefs defense. Now, the Chiefs defense, obviously very weak overall, gave up a ton of yards, but they do have, especially when they're healthy, they do have three elite pass rushers in Justin Houston, uh, D. Ford, and Chris Jones. And those those three guys they dominated in the snow uh with, with the colts anytime that you're avoiding sacks and the colts did an excellent job all season at keeping andrew luck upright you have three basic things that are going for you you have a strong offensive line you have a quarterback who gets rid of the ball and you have play calling which allows you to get the ball out quickly that confluence of factors was not enough against the chiefs and it'll be interesting to see what the Patriots do to counteract that this weekend. Colin, what were your thoughts watching that specific element of this game? And what should the Colts have done differently, do you think? Or was it a, a situation where those three pass rushers were simply too dominant? Yeah, something that I think uh, I've heard it been talked in a couple of places this week, but I haven't heard it been talked about too much uh, in the mainstream. Is that I think that you know we've seen a team that's used to playing in the dome, so we often talk about uh, road splits and that for teams that play indoors. And in this sort of situation, we've seen it where the Colts, usually an indoor team, played indoors against the Texans. Both of those games, uh, no issues obviously with the weather conditions. This game played outdoors and cold conditions. And I, I noticed that kind of in that first quarter in particular, uh, the Colts played. Having quite a lot of trouble staying on their feet, 
missing routine tackles and things like that. So I think uh, you know the home field advantage there played a large part to the Colts or to the the Chiefs' favor. Uh, I think the Colts just came out and they, they needed to come out and you know start hot, silence that crowd. Obviously, what happened was they came out, they started very slow. <laughs> they had the first drive. They had an er- Eric Ebron drop uh, very very early on third down, and that led them to the Chiefs taking the lead. And then once they got the lead, they really never looked back. Uh, you know somebody like Adam Benatari, who we think really doesn't miss many kicks, and you know he had kicking issues again. The advantages of playing indoors versus outdoors and things like that. So I think from all all aspects of the game, I think the Chiefs just thoroughly dominated in this one. I think then obviously when you get into obvious passing situations, the pass rush really were able to get home. I was surprised at how well they done against this offensive line, but. Uh, they really did. They really did struggle to to slow down that Chiefs pass rush. So I think everything about the Chiefs in this was uh, deserved to have the victory. And the other part that I haven't heard discussed a huge amount is Andy Reid as a coach. We talked about him a couple of weeks ago. But when you look at uh, Andy Reid, particularly coming off a bye, and it's talked about end season quite regularly, but in this situation, coming off a bye in the playoffs, um, you know Andy Reid off a bye pretty much doesn't lose. If you give him a week to make a game plan. He is really as good as anybody in the NFL. I know we'll talk about Bill Belichick and, you know, there's not really much need to talk about how good he is as a coach, but we did talk about it a couple of weeks ago and how the narrative will change if Andy Reid does win a Super Bowl this year. Uh, I, I think just play calling wise in game situations there can be some issues but from a game planning perspective with a week off uh, there isn't many that do it better than him so i think overall just a thoroughly dominant performance very deserving by the chiefs and um i think pretty much every aspect of the game they 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 walked away with this one but let's uh, let's jump into the second quarter we'll look through some of the players that we thought um that had dominant dominant performances both in the wild card and also uh, the divisional round we'll we'll go in and out between some of the game details in between uh, and look through all the rest of the, the parts so sean when we look first of it uh, and get in here to the wide receivers we'll look at first looking back to the wild card round um obviously there was a few big performances that week and most of them turning out to be on on losing teams we had kiki Cootie um off the texans having another big workload coming back from injury with alan robinson of the bears having one of his best games of the season uh, finishing up with 143 yards and amari cooper continued to put in impressive performances which he did again in the divisional round and um, what was your takeaway in terms of wide receiver performance in that uh, wild card round um, who really stood out and impressed you that maybe you weren't expecting or maybe that you weren't expecting it'll be interesting to see what these two games do for Kuti and robinson since that their seasons ended at that point so we finish off with this hot note we finish off in games that football fans had a chance to see now it, it's easy for me to forget sometimes i think with uh, having NFL Sunday ticket with recording all of the games with watching all of the games that that is a not necessarily the experience that even uh, fairly hardcore NFL fans will get you know I go uh, to Christmas vacation you know other different types of things like that you're stuck with only one game and then you go back and you're trying to look at the stats you're looking at highlights you're trying to get a sense of how these games play out and that's a lot of information still right but it's not like watching the game unfold in sequence and so when you have these performances on the big stage with people watching i think it can't help but really influence how you see those players so my first thought would be that for kuti here robinson that there may be a little bit of a trap in terms of 2019 adp simply on this one game certainly finishing out 
very strong, having that heavy volume looking good and having that be the last thing that people really get. You know, we have 11 catches in the Texans game. We have 10 catches for Robinson. Both of those guys go over 100 yards and Robinson especially didn't look like he looked the rest of the season. I wrote about it in the 15, how only three players among the 27 guys with more volume than Robinson. So he came in 28th in terms of expected points, uh, expected fantasy points as a receiver. Among those the guys who finished ahead of them, only three were less efficient. And that really helps you understand what those of us who you know watched all of these Bears games, what Chicago fans were subjected to all season, where the Bears had this fantastic season, but Allen Robinson was really not a part of it. He was completely covered on most of his routes so many of the targets he's got a defender inside his jersey on these long targets they're mostly giveaway kinds of plays where trubisky doesn't have a different option overthrows him by 10 yards down the field so you get this sense of volume that really was not quality volume throughout the course of the season but then you go to the playoff game and he looks like Allen robinson of two three seasons ago right he's wide open uh, beating his guy at will getting behind the defense for touchdowns and so if you see that performance and believe that that was what his season was like i think you're going to be tempted to draft him much earlier than what the overall picture indicates for the season the tricky part however is that i think all of us want to believe in these guys all of us want to believe that a player is finally getting healthy and is back i mean no one wants to have sammy watkins be a shell of his former self nobody wants alan robinson to just be a guy when we've all seen what he managed to do with the jacksonville jaguars of all teams so you see this game and you can dream a little bit and so it'll be interesting to see what he is and what he does next year draft wise now robinson is someone where i may personally be a little bit leaning in the other direction because of my frustration with owning him he was on my best team the team that finished 18th in the fantasy football world championships but it was in spite of alan robinson not because of him and so that may be skewing my perception a little bit to the negative of those two guys is there one that you prefer and then obviously with amari cooper the third person you mentioned there he had another strong game in the loss this past weekend uh is he up to even a first round uh you know end of the first round but first second round dynasty selection for those getting ready to do startup drafts i think he's probably in that second round uh, maybe late second round in terms of wide receivers but it's one of those things that if you're in a dynasty startup if he is your gay you have to take him uh, that little bit earlier so um you know if somebody was taking him early second i would really have no problem with it but i think he's had a major bounce back in value since mid-season when he got that trade i think uh, just the, the performances he's had and what he's done uh, he's definitely going to be putting himself up those boards and he finished with two strong weeks here so he will have those weeks where it's boomer bust certain weeks but um, definitely somebody who has added immense value to his uh, fantasy football stock heading into next season so maybe one year early in my prediction for him to be the wide receiver one but the other two that you mentioned uh, Cootie, who has impressed me in the games where he's healthy and he's had games when he you know he, he missed quite a bit of the season but in games he's healthy he's seen very very heavy target loads uh, and in this one here uh, 14 targets 11 receptions 110 yards so uh, he is somebody who's shown as a rookie he can deal with that now the interesting thing is going to be will fuller is going to be back next season but obviously 
Demarius Thomas is likely to, to be injured, uh, not fully healthy after his injury later in the season. So it's going to be in- interesting to see how he fits in with being third in the pecking order. I still think he'll get targets, but will it be this level? Um, you know, when they have to go around with Hopkins and they may improve at tight end as well. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But I think he will go overdrafted heading into the season. I, I do like him as a player, but I think he's somebody that will be hype around based on how his season went on his limited games. Uh, and I think he might be a bit too rich for me come the season. Alan Robinson's an interesting one. You mentioned his targets. Uh, if you look at throughout the season, he was seeing a good target volume, but some of those targets, we talked about it a couple of times here with Chris Godwin uh, and the targets he was getting uh, down in Tampa Bay, and uh, they were kind of uncatchable. He was getting 10 target games and none of them been catchable. So Alan Robinson was in a similar situation with some of his. So maybe next year we see Trubisky take a little bit of a step forward and uh, help help out Robinson there, but I was very impressed with how he played and that loss to the Eagles was the most impressive I've seen from him since those days in Jacksonville where it was mainly just catching jump balls to see how things went but uh, I thought he had a very good performance I think he could come in uh, like there's no doubt the correlation particularly if you play DFS from a weekly perspective when somebody has a big game to the if it's on national tv uh, that follows on with a big game the next week that uh, tends to tends to go that way so it's going to be interesting to see how how it shakes out from that perspective but when you look at it Sean uh, the the running backs then in the wild card i i was very impressed with a couple of them but um we'll talk about some that maybe didn't impress us in a little bit but uh going through them the the ones that really stood out in that game uh, was both marlon mack and ezekiel elliott we obviously had melvin garden who was banged up in both games and really he had a touchdown in both games but really uh didn't live up to what his normal expectations are but elliott and marlon mack with monster weeks uh, both going over 130 yards mack having 148 and uh, one touchdown and then we had Ezekiel Elliott 137 and a touch uh, what was your thoughts on that particular week they were really the two outliers from the rest of the running back core to to, to, to really not uh, have any dominant performances were they the only two that stood out for you yeah so you you have these two massive performances and then you look through the sheet and everyone else there below 50 yards and including uh, plenty of performances with below 2.0 yards per carry which is, is always a little bit of a surprise mac has been a complete revelation this year even with the disappearance in the game this most recent weekend against the chiefs mac has been a guy who really has established himself now we look at him in tandem with Hines, and we see a, a potential one-two punch going forward that could really work well with the offense that they have Mac was someone we were really high on going into his rookie season. And then he's one of those guys who didn't perform as a rookie, really dropped off the map, then bounced back when surprisingly the Colts didn't add any major competition in the off season. And, and now we're starting to see why, because Mac has that explosiveness that really fits in this more spread type of Colts offense when he gets the hole or he gets around the edge he has the speed to, to really make something out of it. And that's a good fit with what their offense does, what the quarterback does. And then they can bring in the scat back in Hines, who has even more speed. So they threaten defenses with that electric ability from their running backs. And that's interesting, I think, in that Le'Veon Bell has been connected there a little bit, has voiced at least uh, some interest in playing for the Colts. Obviously, the Colts are a team on the rise and a team with a huge amount of cap space so if you're a free agent running back you're definitely looking at those two things however 
with this type of performance. Now, you know, you have the loss this last week, perhaps changes things a little bit, but when you have a performance like that in the playoffs and you have this young core, it may make more sense for them to go a different direction. So the New York Jets, another team that isn't nearly as far along, but has a very intriguing young quarterback. If we could see Sam Darnold take the same kind of leap that we saw with Carson Wentz, that we saw with Jerry Goff, that this most recent season we've seen, uh, maybe not quite to that level, but we've seen with Trubisky, then suddenly the Jets become a team that I, I think would be more exciting to Bell than maybe than they are to him at this moment. Again, a team with massive cap space. So if you're looking for someone who would overpay, uh, that is a direction that he may be looking. If you're a Marlon Mack owner, this was the type of performance that could potentially hold off the sort of big acquisition that would really knock down his value for 2019. Yeah, I, I would like to see the Colts um, stay as they are, as you mentioned, kind of go with Mac. He's somebody who really impressed me, particularly over the last kind of eight weeks with how he performed uh, throughout, throughout the end of the season. Uh, I, I think the Colts, they kind of struck me as a team in the midseason that maybe they're a year too early in terms of this playoff run. Obviously, I jumped aboard that bandwagon a couple of weeks ago, and obviously the Kansas City Chiefs uh, ended their hopes for the year. But I would like to see them have a situation where uh, they go with this and if they were going to spend big in free agency i would like to see them pair uh, another wide receiver with andrew luck and ty hilton uh, to go that right and to, to strengthen the defense i think that would be the smarter way for them to go so hopefully that will be what they would do heading into it so we're going to flip it back again to the wide receivers and the biggest performance of the week was michael thomas uh, 16 targets 12 receptions 171 yards extremely impressive continues pretty much to break all the records in the saints record book the other performance uh, that i was impressed with was julian edelman for the patriots nine receptions for him 151 yards he obviously missed the start of the season after his suspension uh, but over the last kind of five or six weeks has luck to be back to uh, what we would have expected from him in the past the other big performance of the week that i was impressed by was the rookie for dallas and that was Michael Gallup. Uh, he had nine targets this week, six receptions, 119 yards against the Rams. Um, and he he really is somebody who hasn't had a huge, uh, you know, he's been very boomer bust this season, but I thought this was his most complete performance so far off the year. I think that's going to probably boom his ADP a little bit more uh, when we get to that stage next year. But those were the three guys that stood out for me this week. Was there anyone else that stood out for you from a wide receiver point of view? And uh, is there any other ones that you want to touch on? The interesting one, and not necessarily sticking out completely in a positive way, but with the defense focusing on Keenan Allen, with Allen being perhaps a little bit limited since the injury that knocked him out toward the end of the regular season, Mike Williams has has taken a step forward here in terms of volume. He had 11 targets in this game, only five receptions for 68 yards, and he was one of the big underperformers in terms of fantasy points over expectation. So he came in at negative four, which obviously not the performance you're looking for. But Williams, we know, can score touchdowns. He's one of those guys who is a tricky weekly start in seasonal leagues, but makes for a good play depending on price uh, in DFS formats because of that red zone performance. But when he starts to move to the four in terms of overall volume when he's starting to move into the double digit target range then i think he starts to become very exciting with the touchdown upside where he was drafted some of the things that we know about him as a prospect the size 
all of those parts of his resume, right? All of those parts of his profile. And in high stakes leagues, he was very coveted this year to where, you know, I selected him, I think in round 13 or 14 of the MFL 10 of death, he was routinely going at the tail end of the fourth round to the fifth, sixth round in the high stakes leagues that I saw. So, you know, those are drafted several months apart and that, explains a little bit of the shift but high stakes owners really wanted this second year player aware of the fact that second year players often make this big jump and now with this volume going into the third season you're looking at tyrell williams pretty much off the map keenan allen a little bit of a disappointing season obviously he had the big touchdown in this one that that kept the chargers a little bit in it there for a while uh but if he can move into sort of a co-number one situation with Allen. It's both good for him, bad for Allen, potentially good for the offense in general. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. And I think as the season went on in the last kind of four or five weeks, he certainly has become that wide receiver too ahead of uh, Terrell Williams um, for, for the Chargers. And just as we reach the midway point of the show, I just want to let all the loyal listeners of the podcast know you can still get a 30% discount off a Rotoviz NFL pass right now. It's available through the NFL podcast homepage. That is rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Obviously, we're heading into the offseason. There's a lot of great bowl prospect working up on the site, a lot of stuff looking ahead to the draft, and of course, looking at it from a dynasty aspect. And really, when you're at Rotoviz, the season never stops, it just continues on. So, get unlimited access to all of our NFL content and tools so you get amazing value and help support the podcast now network once again that is at rotaviz.com forward slash podcast this episode is brought to you by decoy wines of sonoma california as you gather with family and friends this summer experience the best of wine country with decoy by duckhorn winemaker tyson wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards whether it's our flagship cabernet or crisp and refreshing rosé decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com celebrate to locate our wines near you whether you're firing up the grill hosting an alfresco get together or enjoying the warm summer nights let decoy by duckhorn elevate your occasion this episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. So Sean, as we move into the third quarter of the show, we're looking at uh, some bar- parts of the work that uh, Blair had up this week in the wrong read, looking at wide receiver prospects with the early declarations and also draft age. What were some of the interesting parts that you've seen uh, in the takeaways from Blair's work? Obviously, um, early declarations and draft age is a, a hugely um, uh, you know, locked into aspect of uh, dynasty wide receivers in their rookie seasons. Yeah, well, when we, we've talked a lot on the site for years and years about the value of draft age and how those young players tend to outperform their older counterparts. Uh, this most recent season, we again discussed a topic that I had raised back at the beginning of Rotoviz, which is this idea of breakout age also making a big difference in terms of 
whether or not those players went on to NFL success. Anthony Amico wrote some excellent articles last season during our draft coverage discussing how breakout age for wide receivers was really the key to being able to distinguish between two guys who might be drafted in the same area, right? So now we're looking at this concept of whether or not it makes a difference if a player declares early. And this is something that, that came to my attention through some work that Nathan Forster did with uh, Playmaker Score and even more with the sort of godfather of Rotoviz Radio, Matthew Freeman, in his role early on at Rotoviz as the dis- dissenting Costanzan, where he would go and say, Well, I, I think that maybe this is the right idea, but perhaps. Uh, this other approach might be even better. And one of the questions he was raising was whether how much of the effect was age and how much of the effect was experience, right? So when you have these college players and they're playing in their second season, their third season, their fourth season, and when a player is trying to decide when they have a year of eligibility left, whether or not to go to the NFL draft or stay for that final season, we see a couple things and we can tell by the impression that the scouts have you know where that guy is at that point although the scouting impression definitely tracks very very closely with raw yards and simply strength of schedule so you know if you're generating those yards in one of the major conferences it's going to be looked at quite a bit differently than doing it for a small school right so we get to this point where If a player is declaring after his third season, does that put him into a completely different category as a player who declares after his fourth season? And perhaps not surprisingly, the answer is yes. And you look here, Blair's research showing the players who declare early average 200 points in their first two seasons, right? Players who don't declare early average only about 75. And then if you're more interested in success rate, we see a similar type of thing where players who declare early are successful approximately 23% of the time, where players who do not are successful less than 5% of the time. So there's a huge difference. And in that case, success is a 200-point season within the first two years, right? So we're looking very definitely at people who come out and make that impact within the first two years. For those of you who are thinking, well, perhaps uh, that's overly aggressive. We need to have give these guys a chance to really you know, get comfortable with the NFL, uh, learn what they're doing, make their mark on the team. One of the things that we've talked a lot on Rotoviz is that wide receivers make their mark earlier than you would think, or they usually don't emerge, right? So when people are telling you, okay, don't draft these young guys, don't draft them in dynasty, they'll be overvalued. You'll have to pay way too much. They're hugely expensive. Or in your draft format, someone is saying, there's no reason to take the risk, right? You want to take established players in these high leverage rounds. There can be some truth to that kind of thing. And the truth usually comes in at players who have a lot of buzz, but haven't produced, right? So if you were actually not a good college player, but there's buzz for some reason. Those are the guys to stay away from. But people who were good in college, drafted early, you know, get into these situations on teams where they're going to have a shot, they actually break out earlier than people think that they do, right? So these first two seasons is what we were focusing on. And you know, Blair did a nice job of showing what a big difference this makes. But then obviously the question that is going to pop into your head is, well, 
isn't all of that actually still explained or demonstrated by draft position, right? So does it really matter if the NFL drafts efficiently and understands what these guys are doing? And the answer is no, that they don't draft efficiently at all. Because when scouts are watching these seniors dominate against younger players, it's very difficult for us to go back and say, okay, well, this is a fourth year of experience. And this is a developmental time when people improve very, very rapidly, right? So when you're looking at a player going to the NFL, part of what's happening there is he's adjusting to a new level and adjusting to playing older, better players, but partly it's that you're still improving. And this rapid improvement occurs throughout college. So when you're playing your fourth season against people who are in their second years, third years, or even seniors who are not as talented as you are, that gives you this big edge. And it's an edge that scouts have a hard time fully understanding when they're evaluating players. And what we find then is that people who are declared early actually score more fantasy points in those first two seasons than seniors who are drafted a full round earlier, right? So when you're going into your fantasy draft, this is definitely an area to target or something to think about is going after these guys who declare for the NFL draft early. Yeah, and there's there's always going to be those outliers that you know go against the grain a little bit and uh, go against the data. But you know when you're looking at the work that Blair has done, you know it's it's tremendous work in terms of how it's illustrated in graph format, very very simple and easy to digest. And just uh, you know we've talked about it time and time again, the the younger players and when they come in and the impact they have. And you know you mentioned whether they do it in their first year or if it takes them longer. We kind of talk about it sometimes on you know fourth year breakout, fifth year breakout, or going with a different team. That that more of an exception to the rule it is more that you know when they come in and they dominate from the start so uh, very very good work by Blair very fascinating piece I would highly recommend everyone to check it out um, so Sean looking back again then at the divisional rounds and, and, and the, the stuff that we've talked about we did talk about the wide receivers and that we didn't talk about the running backs we're going to talk about a couple of them and then we're going to just get some of our thoughts on what it'll affect for next season and then we'll finish up with our thoughts on this week's games with our picks so Damien Williams is somebody who I've thought has been very impressive for the Chiefs since uh, Kareem Hunt uh, was um, obviously cut by the team he had a big big game this last week 129 yards and 25 carries one touchdown rushing he also had five receptions he's really had a, an impressive workload he has signed that uh, contract with the Chiefs obviously I think the Chiefs it'll look like in a year or two that they might have got a real bargain getting them to sign that early but uh, Sonny Michelle is somebody who uh, I wasn't a big fan of at the start of the season but he has shown from a Russian perspective in this Patriots offense that he has had a really strong run when given the opportunity 24 attempts 129 yards and three touchdowns so he had a very dominant week I think that's going to really springboard him up draft boards next season probably somebody who I won't be targeting but I think that performance was very very impressive CJ Anderson is somebody who obviously cut by the Panthers couldn't get a snap there signed by the Raiders then was cut within a week now he's with the now he's with the Rams heading to the, the conference championship off the back of another big day 23 for 123 and two touchdowns for him what, what did you take away from the running back position uh, in this divisional round and just what has uh, CJ Anderson uh, taken to, to get to these performance levels it's interesting that Anderson would be in this position when you look at uh, and put it in contrast with Damian Williams because unless I'm mistaken he was also one of the players the Chiefs tried out uh, during that time period when they were more or less desperately looking to build more depth 
into their running back room after the release of Kareem Hunt. And they ended up going with Charkandrick West as the last person there. That may or may not have been a mistake since these are different types of things you're looking for. Uh, The thing that always strikes me with CJ Anderson is you can understand why he might not look good in a tryout situation because he at this point is not sort of your platonic image of an NFL running back. He's not extremely svelte. He doesn't maybe have that straight line explosion, but he has been extremely impressive in the context of this offense that challenges defenses horizontally, that challenges defenses vertically. And as I look at the NFL, and and we talk about this all the time, but I think you can run the ball. And I think that if you run the ball successfully, it will be devastating to the opposing defense, to what they're trying to do as a team. But as so many people talk about now, you really need to do that off of the pass and off of the other things you're doing in your offense. You can go back to the Dick Vermeil Priest Holmes teams and look at what they were doing and why they were so successful running. And they were one of these sort of early teams to put a big emphasis on forcing the defense to cover everything right they didn't do it in the same way that the current chiefs and the current rams are doing it with all of the misdirection but they forced teams to cover sideline to sideline and they forced teams to cover vertically and when you do that in the passing game and especially when you do it with at least a little bit of success then it becomes very difficult to contend with you know even and maybe especially someone like cj anderson because when todd Gurley's in the game it doesn't matter too much what you're doing with robert woods doesn't matter too much what you're doing with brandon cooks you're definitely still going to have that emphasis on maybe not stopping Gurley, since that's a pretty difficult uh, standard to accomplish but at least holding him somewhat in check being aware of where he is when you bring in cj anderson things shift and that's really played to anderson's advantage it'll be interesting to see what they do i in the process of putting together uh sort of my yearly article projecting all 32 nfl backfields and the the point of the article is is mostly to have some fun right obviously i'm not going to be right in terms of where i'm projecting all these free agents and all these draft picks but to try and understand the free agent situation on the different teams, to try and understand approximately where guys would be drafted and how that will affect where current players are, especially current players who maybe aren't as established in their roles, guys like um, August Edwards, for example. But CJ Anderson now seems like he's definitely making a strong case for being that, uh, maybe not long-term, but certainly the short-term backup to Todd Gurley there and while that hurts the other people on the depth chart, it could perhaps also pull a little bit away from Gurley, although clearly what we're seeing right now is Gurley not quite at 100%. Yeah, and what we've seen this week too, one of the things that really surprised me was uh, on the fourth down play at the goal line when CJ Anderson got a second touchdown was that they went with Anderson on that play. And, you know, obviously you would have, if you had talked about it before the game, you would have said that they would have had Gurley in there without a shadow of a doubt. So he has really played himself into a promising position here. It'll be interesting to see what happens with him in the offseason. But when we look through the players that we mentioned, I'm just going to go through some kind of rapid-fire names and we'll talk a little bit about them. The one I wanted to talk about was Naheem Hines. Uh, we talked about him earlier when we talked about Marlon Mack. He was somebody we mentioned maybe two weeks ago on the show when we talked about players that we might target ahead of next season. Well, the last two performances definitely have hard as value, I think, when we look forward to next season's ADP. He was somebody I played both weeks in DFS, uh, had a zero-point game 
uh, against the uh, Texans and then this past week uh, just had uh, I think he finished with 34 yards so didn't have uh, all that much of in terms of an impact but a player who I think can be very valuable heading into 2019 from a pass catching perspective but I was very disappointed with how they worked him and I thought against the Chiefs they really could have got him involved more especially from the pass catching element uh, especially when they were having trouble keeping uh, you know the, the offensive line it would have slowed down that pass rush a little bit I thought it would have been a smart way to implement it the other players I have here is Gus Edwards obviously uh, didn't have as much uh, success in the playoffs as he was having at the, the early part of his run when he was in there Kenneth Dixon came back and added his workload a bit and the other two positions there's the Seattle wide receivers and the Chargers uh, backup running backs if you look at uh, Austin Eckler and uh, Justin Jackson uh, didn't have a huge amount of work over the last couple of weeks so uh, if you look at those positions, Sean, is there anything that stood out to you as kind of underperforming uh, majorly over the last couple of weeks and that would have lowered their ADP, do you think, ahead of the 2019 season? Those names you mentioned are interesting because they fit within this theme that we've had all year about the need to replace running back carries with running back receptions. And two of the teams that I felt did a decent job with this during the season, and certainly on the Chargers side did an excellent job, would be the Chargers and the Colts. And both of those teams, especially in the first half on in the divisional round, did not accomplish that same thing. So we look at the, the averages for those couple of games. The, the Patriots were throwing six and a half first half targets to running backs during the course of the season they threw 13 passes most of which went to james white uh, against the chargers and really used that to sustain drives and to keep you know really put that the blitzkrieg attack on the chargers knock them out of the game when you look at sony michelle i think that one of the exciting things if you own him is this idea that he really works the best when the offense in general works well we have a few of these teams a team like the uh the seahawks for example where someone like chris carson not only does he face some potential 2019 challenge from someone like a rashad penny those disappointing freshman backs you always have to look out because they drop down people get more comfortable with the starters and then suddenly they're back they move themselves into that starting position but when you look at those guys they the way they've set that up they need those huge carries that come from the offense running through the running back position and i think that the seahawks have to go away from that for the obvious reasons that we've talked about all year with the patriots we've seen that white and michelle can function simultaneously and really play off of each other so you know michelle is a guy where if that offense can get fired back up and be what it was in the past and it'll be interesting to see what happens with the chiefs because this is another game where certainly you could see white very involved and you could see them putting up 40 plus points on the chiefs for a second time this season but getting back to your question with with hines you have the colts they averaged 4.3 targets two running backs in the first half of their games this year they had zero against the chiefs so Part of that is a failure to sustain drives, right? When you have less overall volume, you're going to have less specific volume. But in this case, passes to the running backs would have especially made sense to deal with this fearsome pass rush, and yet they went uh, completely in a different direction. So that raises some questions for me. And when you're looking at the Chargers, they were also below their average 4.5 to 3. And 
with Gordon Limited, you would have liked to have seen Jackson and Eckler really show off what they can do. I think a lot of us, especially at Rotoviz, but probably across the fantasy community, have high hopes for those two players. You know, played Eckler some when Gordon was out. Certainly a lot of guys are trying to get Justin Jackson in the lineup that week when both of the people ahead of him were out. Put up some points there. But in these two playoff games, the victory over the Ravens, the loss to the Patriots, they disappointed and you know, that causes multiple problems, both the disappointment in general, but also the fact that they could enter 2019 uh, really with a split role behind Gordon. And when we talk about zero running back candidates, we talk a lot about these guys who have these plum backup roles where you have standalone value, but it's value that really then explodes balloons when the starter goes down. The Chargers backfield is suddenly looking uh, a little bit sketchy in terms of how that would work for next season and so instead of being you know more ninth 10th 11th round picks uh, those guys are are players who could be pushed out of drafts completely in your shallower sort of 14 player drafts plus the defense and kicker uh, later on in you know 16 18 20 player leagues yeah i would agree with that as well and i think part of the problem when it gets to the stage of the season is if it was say week 14 i think these are games like the last two games particularly with the chargers that melvin garden likely would have sat out obviously he was uh you know lucked to be in a bit of pain with both knees um heavily bandaged up so i think we have a situation where if it had been in mid-season they pro- he probably wouldn't have played and the backups would have played a little bit more but in the situation it kind of skewed the game plan completely because it was one or go home they had him in there they didn't give a full compliment then to the backups and it caused them some issues but the other one that i want to mention uh, is with i mentioned seahawks wide receivers the one that uh, didn't get included in that list is tyler lockett uh, he impressed me immensely over the course of the season with his efficiency uh, i wish that the seahawks would have just took the leash off on russell wilson a little bit more i, I never can understand why why when they really need to let him pass it they let him pass it and he tends to get the job done so um i would like to see him uh, give a little bit more freedom next season to see what they can do from the offensive side of the ball so sean the last thing for us to do is to jump into overtime let's get our predictions done uh, we're looking at the afc and the nfc championship game i think i seen today that it's the first time in uh, a super bowl history that the four highest scoring offenses from the regular season have made it through to the playoffs and i could be wrong on that and it could be misquoting but i believe that was the case so we have the saints against the rams and then we have the chiefs and the patriots you mentioned the patriots won earlier in the season that was in foxborough so we have the situation here with the chiefs at home it's actually given for uh, very very cold weather conditions up there i believe in kansas uh, and then we have the saints and the dome against the rams I think it's going to be fascinating. In my opinion, I think it's going to be a Rams-Chiefs Super Bowl, and I think both of those teams can get the job done. I think the Rams could win on the road. I know there is the home road splits for Goff, but I think in this situation, indoors gives it a little bit less off a disadvantage. But what I, what I do think needs to happen is he just needs to do a little bit more than he did last week, I think, uh, against the Cowboys. He did just enough, but I think there'll be more required of him this coming week. But um, we'll see what happens there. The Saints picked up a few injuries in this past weekend's game do you think it's going to be something similar sean or you do you think i i presume you think the chiefs are getting there but uh, who's coming in from the afc side of things i would like to see a chiefs rams super bowl i think that would be the most fun and uh, you know but you can't argue with any of the matchups we're going to have here we had the two top seeds from both conferences advance you had the saints really 
struggle and make some big mistakes and then get bailed out by some even bigger mistakes by the Eagles in that game. The question I, I do have, and, and I'd be interested in getting your take on these injuries, how much of an effect will these injuries have uh, for the Saints? And is that enough to where the Rams now have a large enough edge in the trenches that they'll be able to push the Saints around and maybe mitigate some of the home court advantage due to that specific element? I'm going to be interested to see how you mentioned the front lines and what the injuries it, it does make it a little bit of a better matchup but if you look at the Cowboys the one thing I was impressed with the Rams against the Cowboys was how uh, in particular Indomitian and Sue was able to deal with Ezekiel Elliott and that front side of the, the offensive defensive line battle and I think if they can kind of slow down what we see from Kamara and what we see from Mark Ingram this week um, I, I think that that gives the Rams a huge advantage uh, I thought the, the Saints really did struggle a little bit against the Eagles from that aspect as well trying to run the ball uh, they couldn't really sustain it um, throughout the game from what we would expect it during the season and I think that there's going to be a key area to this and we've kind of seen it you know the the Patriots game was a similar situation the Chiefs game was a similar situation where the team that won that battle up front really had a strong advantage and the the Patriots don't really have a you know a really strong pass rush but they they didn't let Philip Rivers have any time based on you know having different uh, blitzes coming from the secondary and that really put them under pressure so the, the Patriots going to have to do it from different angles and it'll be interesting to see how they can do that against the Chiefs but if you look at the Chiefs pass rush and then if you look at uh, the Rams pass rush I think I think I would be giving those two an advantage on that aspect as well so it, it is going to be fascinating to see how it works but I do think those injuries definitely give a, a boost to the Rams and I, I do think a key part of it's going to be trying to, to clog up the middle and we all know obviously that Drew Brees is a smaller quarterback and if they can get stuff in to try and disrupt him and clog up the middle of that line it makes it difficult for him as well so I'm just interested to see it I have absolutely no pr- uh, trouble if uh, the Saints get to the Super Bowl I would love to see Brees get back there and have a chance to win another one uh, i do like the saints as a team um i would like to see the rams get there based on how they've played over the last two seasons and the, the players that they have on their offense um, and then of course i am rooting for the chiefs this week uh, uh, my brother as i mentioned before the show sean is a patriots fan but i think most people outside of uh, boston this weekend will be cheering on the chiefs you mentioned already uh, getting that playoff win and getting that kind of hoodoo off their back it'll be interesting now this week to get it a second time to get andy reed to the Super Bowl as well and to see if he can win one uh, I, I would be definitely rooting for the Chiefs side the rest of the way to, to see if they can get that because uh, I am a big Andy Reid fan as well so it's gonna be a fascinating week fascinating weekend of uh, action looking forward to this one and obviously as I mentioned the show now on a bi-weekly schedule so there'll be no show next week we'll be back to preview the Super Bowl then so thanks to everyone who's tuned in I obviously mentioned earlier in the show as well the 30% discount to the road of his pass uh, do check that out great value great content going up on a daily basis on the site so with that what it's going to do is going to wrap us up for this week my name is colin kelly you can follow me on twitter at over martin my co-host is sean siegel who you can follow on twitter at ff underscore contrarian and with that until we're back in two weeks time have a good one Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Who am I and how am I feeling? I'm Clive Owen and I'm feeling great, thanks. How about you? You feeling happy? A little angry? People have so many feelings, millions of them. But what if businesses could really understand all of those feelings and then act on them to make their customers feel better? 
It's a thing. It's SAP experience management, and it's here. Because the future of business has feelings, and I've got a feeling we're all going to like it. Go to sap.com slash xm to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion.